Good morning. I'm going to ask you to open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12 as we look at verses uh, 32 uh, to 39. As we uh, consider these verses, it's important to remember uh, that the book of Hebrews was written to Hebrew Christians uh, who were facing persecution. And because of that persecution, some were drifting from the faith. Some were drifting from Christ and returning to the old covenant as it was revealed in the Old Testament. But we were told right at the beginning of this epistle in Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets. But now, in these last days, God has spoken to us in his Son. That Jesus has come as the final and fullest revelation of God. Jesus, as we've seen in past weeks, is is better than Moses. He is better uh, than the, the priests and the sacrifices because those old forms were temporary and provisional. They pointed forward to Christ who is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And so why go back to the types and shadows when the final salvation in Christ has come? Why would we drift from the reality of Christ to go back to those promises that are fulfilled in him? Think of just at the end of uh, last year when we looked at Hebrews 10, 14, by a single offering Christ has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. Salvation is complete in him. And so last Sunday, as Kyle preached, uh, we saw that if you reject Christ... If you go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin for you. And so that's where we pick up this morning. Having warned those that are drifting, our author now turns his attention to the true believers to encourage them to persevere in their faith. He does so by telling them to remember the past in order to stand firm in the present. So look with me at verses 32 to 39. But you recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being made a public spectacle 
both by insults and persecutions, and sometimes sharing with those who were treated the same. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. But if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Verse 32. But you... Christian, recall the former days. Which days? Those days after you were enlightened. Meaning after you had received the truth of the gospel. After the Holy Spirit had given you faith to believe in Christ. Think back to those early days as a new Christian. Think, recall, reminisce. But what he wants them to remember is not simply the good times, but the persecution. Remember how, verse 32, you endured a hard struggle. You suffered patiently, the idea of weathering a deadly storm. Remember how, verse 33, you were made a public spectacle, both by insults and persecution. The idea there is uh, you were made to be theater. You were on public display as some kind of entertainment as people mistreated you, like some kind of freak show. Verse 33b, you shared in the sufferings of fellow Christians who were being mistreated in the same way. Verse 34a, you had compassion on those in prison, meaning they visited and provided care for those who were in jail because of the faith. In the first century, a Roman jail was just a place where they kept you. They didn't give you food and water. Prisoners had no means of survival except for the care and provision provided for them by those that loved them. 
And so our author wants these Christians to remember the care that they gave or the care that they received from those family and those friends. These suffering Christians sought to minister to one another. And in doing so, the Bible teaches that they ministered to Christ himself. Think of what Jesus said in Matthew 25. When Christ comes in his glory as king, he will bless his people saying, I was hungry and you fed me. Thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was a prisoner, and you came to me. Then the righteous will ask, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty and give you food and drink? When were you a stranger, and we welcomed you, were naked and clothed you? When were you sick or in prison, and we visited you? The king will say, as you did it to one of the least of these, you have done it to me. As Christians who minister to one another, then and now, we minister to Christ because we are one with him. And as we are one with him, we are one with each other. See, Christianity has this Vertical and horizontal dimension. We are united to Christ through faith. And because we're united to him collectively, we belong to each other. Think of Romans 12.5. Though we are many, we are one body in Christ. And individually, members of one another. We belong to each other. J.I. Packer, in his book, uh, Taking God Seriously, which I'm just finishing up with a growth group, says this. Linked with Christ and thus committed to love and serve him as our Savior and Lord, all we who believe are also thereby linked with each other and thus committed to love and serve each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord's family. These Hebrew Christians had done just that in identifying with and caring for their fellow Christians. I think that's a a lesson we need to hear afresh. Not just that we serve each other, but that we are one with each other. Our culture is so divided. And at times that division has invaded the church. We complain about living in a council culture, but how often do we ostracize and seek to silence each other just because we disagree? about some social or political issue. 
which are important, but they're not ultimate. Should we not be willing to listen and consider a different perspective? And when we disagree, we speak truth how? You can answer that. We speak truth in? Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, meaning putting up with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We have unity in Christ already, and we should be eager, anxious, make every effort to maintain that unity. Consider this. Our triune God has eternally existed in perfect love and community in himself. But on the cross, that community was disrupted. As the eternal son suffered and died in our place. In anguish, he cried out, my God. My God, why have you forsaken me? And heaven was silent. The eternal unity of the Godhead was broken so that we could have unity with him and each other. Be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. Too often we're eager to be right. Let the unity of the body be more important than being right. These Hebrew Christians are told to remember the past. Think about how you suffered. Recall how you were mocked and put on public display. How some of you were imprisoned. Verse 34b, think back to how you joyfully 
accepted the plundering, the confiscation of your property. Why? How could someone be do, experience that joyfully? Because you knew that you yourself had a better and lasting possession. They lost their property. They lost their homes. But they did so joyfully. Because they knew that God is their father and he had promised them a better and eternal home. Jesus said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. So where I am, you may be also. Now we are getting to the heart's of why he wants them to remember. Up to now, it's been, remember all that bad stuff that happened to you. How you suffered and lost. I'd be like, yeah, I'm trying to forget it. Who wants to remember the bad things? This call to remember isn't meant to be an exercise in self-pity, but drawing encouragement from past experience of walking with the Lord through difficulties. Remember grace and his provision in the most difficult of times. We don't know the exact circumstances uh, that he's referring to. But given uh, the description of what happened and the fact that it was against Jewish Christians, many think it was the persecution under Roman Emperor Claudius in 49 AD, uh, which is, uh, we think, about 15 years prior to the writing of this epistle. Uh, the Jewish leaders in Rome had banned the Jewish Christians from meeting in the synagogue. And so they had no place to worship. And this obviously led to some degree of disagreement and conflict. And the, uh, the Roman historian uh, Suetonius uh, writes that there were riots because of that in the Jewish quarters. And as a result, the emperor, Claudius, expels all Jews from Rome. And so their homes were taken away from them. Uh, this expulsion from Rome is referenced in Acts 18.2, where uh, Aquila and Priscilla leave Rome and end up in Corinth, where they meet the apostle Paul. In the end... What is most important is not the exact historical circumstance, but the fact that God was faithful in that circumstance, that he provided for his people and made a way for them to endure and persevere. 
And so now they should recall those past events and be encouraged because now they're about to face new persecution under Emperor Nero. And this persecution, history tells us, is far worse. Our God has been and always will be faithful to his people. And so we remember the past to stand firm in the present. Just the other day, my wife Jen and I were talking about how often the problem right in front of you becomes so large and you forget how God has seen you through similar circumstances. We forget the goodness of God when the pain or the threat in front of us is so great. We forget the lessons of God's provision and we miss the encouragement that he will always provide. We take God's goodness for granted and we need to find ways to rehearse what he's done in our life. We need to learn to give thanks for what he does in various circumstances. You ever pray? Ask God to move in some particular way in your life? And when what you pray for happens, you think, oh, isn't that a coincidence? Rather than stopping and saying, Lord, thank you. How do we keep a record of what God has done individually and corporately? Think about the Old Testament. Uh, Israel has wandered through the wilderness for 40 years because of their unbelief. It was the judgment of God. But now they're about to enter the promised land, and they're crossing the Jordan, and the priest holding the Ark of the Covenant step into the Jordan River, and when they step in, it becomes dry ground, just like the Red Sea 40 years prior. And as they crossed, do you remember what Joshua had them do? He had a man from each tribe grab a boulder. And they raised a pillar so that they would remember. Think about the Passover. That's what the Passover was. What? A, a meal of remembrance. As a, as a Jew would participate in the Passover, they were participating in the Exodus itself. We do the same thing with the Lord's Supper. How often a church does it? It's what? A proclamation of the death of Christ. We're not proclaiming it to the lost world in that moment. We're de declaring it to one another. Remember what Jesus did for us. What he did for me. 
I remember, uh, for those of you who remember um, Harvey Hahn, uh, he died a number of years ago. He was one of my uh, community fellowship leaders. And I remember visiting his group. As a matter of fact, Terry, you were part of that group at the time. And it was the end of the year. And I didn't know he did this every year. Uh, he opened a, a, a notebook. And he read all the prayer requests of that year. And the answers. And on one level, it was a little tedious. But on a deeper level, you're going, that's so wise. Because we forget. What's the song? Uh, 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 Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Maybe I could encourage you to keep a journal. I've tried to do that on various occasions with limited success. Where you can record your thoughts and your prayers and periodically read it to see what God has been doing in your life. Or maybe uh, uh, write an updated testimony. Just for yourself, where you can recount who you were before you came to Christ and where you've seen growth. Where has God redeemed the various areas of your life? Maybe it's sharing with your uh, small group, whether it's a growth group or a community fellowship, some of your struggles and doubts. You don't have to tell them everything, but you can... begin to share some. So that they can encourage you and build you up. Most of us would rather hear other people's doubts than share our own. I'm real good at that. I think think it was... uh, uh, our Saturday morning group that Doug was part of for years, uh, Pearson. And I was just asking people their prayer requests and, and asking them to share their deep struggles with the group. And I would maneuver the conversation. And at the time, I was struggling with something heavy. And it wasn't Doug, but it was Eric Hoover who turned it on me and said, what's going with you, on with you, Eric? I think it was the first time I ever... Why didn't you ever ask me that, Doug? I want to know. <laughs> and I remember this internal struggle. Do I share what I'm feeling? Or do I keep it to myself and hide? And of course, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to have my act together. So there's a reason to keep it to myself. At least that's what I tell myself. So I shared some. And I appreciated the care and concern. And I have found sharing struggles and burdens is a wonderful way to be encouraged. 
and allow others be, to be used by God to build you up. How do we stir each other up to love God more, to trust him more, so that when the troubles come, because they're coming, if they're not here now, we don't live in fear. Because God has told us, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. So we can confidently say, the passage goes on to say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can men do to me? Our life is in the hand of God. So remember the past and God's faithfulness so that we can stand firm in the present. Verse 35, therefore, our text goes on, do not throw away your confidence which has great reward. Do not throw away your confidence. Your confidence in what? In yourself? In your ability to think positive thoughts? Or develop some kind of inner strength? Those things are fine but they cannot control life. And they will not determine what others do to you or how life plays out. Our confidence must be in the Lord who saves. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And what is promised? Verse 37. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. Who is this coming one? It's the Messiah, who we know is Christ. And he has come already to conquer sin and death. And he is coming again to usher in the fullness of his kingdom in all his glory and majesty. And he has promised us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It is the promise of the new creation where God will forever dwell among us, We will be his people, and he will be our God. It is in that place that God will wipe away every tear, and there will no longer be pain, death, or mourning. It will be a kingdom 
ruled by righteousness. And the righteous one is Christ himself, and we will rule with him as joint heirs. That is the promise of God. But for whom is the promise made? Verse 38. But my righteous one shall live by faith. But if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. That's a quote from Habakkuk. Uh, Paul cites the same passage in Romans 1, 17, where he says, The righteous, speaking of us, shall live by faith. That faith is a gift from God born in us at regeneration. That uh, time where we are born again, we're given a new nature that believes and obeys the gospel. Our faith is a fruit of that new nature. That saving faith unites us to Christ. And by it we are justified, declared righteous with the righteousness of Christ that is credited or imputed to us. And now the Holy Spirit dwells in us, the third person of the Trinity. And he will persevere in us until the end. But there are some who, in verse 39, shrink back, drift from Christ, and are destroyed. The author is not simply talking about those out there, those outside the church. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to those who are in the church, but are not true followers of Jesus Christ. It's a warning that we heard last week that those who go on sinning deliberately and profane the blood of the covenant... A person may come to church, they may look and sound like a Christian, but they do not know Christ. They haven't acknowledged their sin and confessed it and turned to Christ in repentance. And on the last day, Jesus said that he will declare, depart from me, workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. Do we know Christ? Now, as Christians, we all have ups and downs. There are times of doubt, times of struggle. But our faith always draws us back to Christ. I was telling a, a group of guys the other day that uh, those times when you're frustrated, you're seeking after God and you don't seem to be growing, you're praying and it feels like you're just going blah, 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 blah. Like no one's listening. 
and, you, and, and there's something in you that goes, I, I just want to give up. But you don't. Because you know the truth. And you can't deny it. It's, do you remember uh, in, in John's gospel, it, it talks about Jesus was talking about eat my flesh and drink my blood kind of language on the manna from heaven. And it said many of his disciples stopped following Jesus. And he turned to the 12 and he said, are you going to stop following me too? And what does Peter say? Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And in those moments of struggle, in those moments of doubts, in those difficulties, that's what comes to me. I may be frustrated because I want God to answer me in the way that I want him to answer me today. I've prayed it at least three times. Come on. Where else am I going to go? I can't deny the truth of what I know. And I have to remind myself, God is doing a good work even in the moments when it feels like there's silence. The Christian life is a life of faith from beginning to end. And so those without true saving faith often do eventually drift away. And if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, we've all seen it. Those that are excited about Christ today and a few years from now, they're just gone. They're like the seed sown on rocky soil that Jesus talked about in Mark 4. Remember the, in the parable, the seed represented the gospel and the soil was the human heart. And Jesus said that the seed sown on rocky soil is the one who hears the word and receives it immediately with joy. But they have no root in themselves, meaning it does not go down to their heart. It's just an emotional response. They have no root in themselves. They are only temporary. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, they fall away. Think of Demas who was a co-worker of Paul. But then he deserted the faith because he loved the world. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, has really trusted in Christ. Some are temporary. Think about uh, 1 John 2.19. They went out from us meaning they left, but they were never really one of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. 
but they went out so that it would be evident that they are not of us. God wanted to encourage and warn. He wanted to warn those who were drifting, to to encourage the, the true Christians to remember God's past faithfulness so that their hearts and their minds would be ready to face the persecution that was about to come. Do we need the same today? Oh, yes, we do. It's not hard to see that as Christians, we live in a kind of cultural exile. We are the outsiders. Our belief in God and the supernatural is regularly ridiculed. Our morality, which was commonplace a couple of decades ago, is now considered outmoded, or even worse, hateful. In the Western world, we are no longer welcomed at the table. We're not part of the conversation. Now, I don't know what's going to happen But I know that we need to be sober-minded. We need to set our hope on Christ and the grace that is to be revealed in us. We need encouragement to trust God more fully so that we remain faithful in our present time. It seems like persecution is coming, which sounds kind of depressing. But let me remind you that the Roman world of the first century hated the church. But the church, simply being the church, turned the world upside down. We don't need a new message. We don't need a new methodology. We don't need political power. We have the spirit and the word. And so I ask you, what are we lacking? Nothing. We need to speak and live out the gospel to demonstrate the power of God in how we love and treat others in the church and out of the church. By doing so, we can provide the world an alternative culture, one that is better and more beautiful than anything this world can offer. When we look out in the world, it can seem hopeless. But we are the church. 
And Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. My friends, the righteous shall live by faith, which is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, help us as your people to remind ourselves and each other of your goodness and your faithfulness. Help us to see and to remember what is most important. Let us not get caught up in division that separates, but that we would seek uh, to have unity, to demonstrate love, and that by doing so, that your spirit would work in us that your spirit would revive us and then through us reach our family, our friends, and our neighbors uh, for the glory of your son. And it's in his name that we ask. Amen.